0: In today's episode.
1: The earlier that the farmer can get out and onto the field with nitrogen, i.e. February or early March, then I'm probably looking at a three-split um, scenario, but if that time marches on then I'm, I'll probably put more nitrogen on in the first application and cut back to two
2: splits. The most important thing is to make sure that there is a demand from the crop So you want to apply the nitrogen uh, when the crop is actively growing. So the roots have got to be there to be able to take the nitrogen up.
0: Welcome to CropGuard. I am Tiffany Stevenson and today we're joined by Professor Ian Bingham from SRUC and Peter Lindsay from SAC Consulting. I'm very excited to be talking to them today. Ian, would you like to begin by introducing yourself?
2: Yes, I'm... I'm Ian Bingham. I'm a crop physiologist um, at SIUC. So I've been with the organisation, gosh, getting on for probably 37 years now. So my main roles are in teaching and in research. So I've had an interest over the years in um, root soil interactions and then um, more recently in sort of disease yield relationships. And the teaching I do covers sort of crop physiology, Um, general crop science um, and even extensa in the past I've even done a bit of food science as well you have to turn your hand to to all sorts of things when you're teaching
0: so definitely a wealth of knowledge 37 years well I wouldn't say that I think I know
2: I know I'm more conscious of what I don't know when when you teach and when you research as well you you kind of discover you know less than you think you know so um, but that's not a bad thing
0: well, I'm sure you'll know plenty for today. Peter, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yep, uh, I'm Peter Lindsay.
1: Uh, I'm a mere boy in this organization. I've only been here for 23 years in comparison to Ian. Um, agricultural consultant working between the Perth and Forfar offices, and I specialize mainly in agronomy work. So I spend most of my time um, walking crops um, throughout farms in Angus and Perthshire.
0: Excellent. So it has been a very wet winter, the ground has been waterlogged in many areas and I know there's many farmers who are phoning me at the moment complaining they can't get the plough in. So what are you seeing out in the field with the crops at the moment Peter?
1: We've been right in I would say in the eye of the storms this winter we've had a lot of rain uh, since October in Angus in particular Um, but going round crops at the minute, they're actually greener than I would have expected coming out of the winter. and um, They're not yellowing and hungering uh, for nitrogen as much as I might have expected through this. And locally, we are beginning to dry up, so ploughs have been moving um, in the last few weeks. It was wet again at the weekend, but on the lighter land, they'll, they'll be going again today with the ploughs. So there is a bit of progress being made. Uh, and then with the uh, NVZ close period passing by at the end of this week, there'll be a look to try and get some nitrogen onto some uh, winter crops, if conditions allow.
0: So well, That's exactly what we're wanting to talk about today, is putting nitrogen on and other fertilisers on as well, and when people are wanting to do it or should be doing it um, to get the most out of it. So shall we just start with the winter wheat? Um, what are the timings for applying the fertiliser to the winter wheat?
1: So certainly in this area, my plans would be to get on with compound fertilisers, which many of which have not been applied this, this back end because it has been so wet. Uh, so I would be expecting as whenever conditions allow to be able to get out with, with the compound fertiliser and when they were ordering many people realized that the chances were they weren't going to get on until the springtime anyway so they opted to choose to order something like an 8 24 24 or an 8 20 30. so when they put that compound fertilizer on there will be a small amount of nitrogen on just to encourage some of these um more backward crops To to spring into life without risking too much nitrogen being applied, with the risk of uh, washing away, or or yeah, we're only in February, so we may well still get uh, a chunk of winter happening yet. Um, And then it's depending on how tender some of these crops are, it could be a little an often approach this year to try and gradually get it um, into a uh, a crop that's can take up considerable amounts of nitrogen um but there's plenty of um more crops that are at typical growth stages and uh they'll more likely just get a, a kind of a 50 50 or a third 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 uh split of nitrogen as the as the season goes on
2: yeah i i would i would agree with that peter i think um we did some work um with, with a part of a student challenge looking at looking at the effects of um, timing of, of nitrogen and we deliberately had um, low seed rates in there so we had a sort of 400 as a standard seed rate perhaps or maybe slightly high uh, and down to 200 to simulate a backward crop because we were just wanting to demonstrate what the effects of an early nitrogen application an early split in the application would be and we were able to um in those in those sort of trials um the, the low seed rate was, was yielding maybe half a ton to a ton and a half lower than the, than the high seed rate. Um, but when we put, um, and that was under a sort of a standard, uh, one third, two third split. But when we, when we reverse that and we did a two thirds, one third split to the low seed rate, we're able to lift the yield back up to, to what you'd expect from the standard seed rate. So there was definitely effect there, but I think that, that kind of boost to, to, uh, to tillering, it, it, it does depend on on the conditions because we tried the same thing the following year and we didn't see such an effect. And it might be because the the soil is dry; it's not taking it up as quickly. Um, but but there certainly you certainly got some mileage there. I think to play with the timings if you are dealing with these backward crops. Peter, do you
0: usually advise to have um, three? loads of uh, fertiliser being applied or would you just do it a split into two?
1: I start off planning for three uh, and as time slips past whether it's the weather or just other things getting in the way of, of it not being applied to the field I can then revert to two. So the earlier that the farmer can get out and onto the field with nitrogen, i.e. February or early March, then I'm probably looking at a three-split scenario. But if that time marches on, then I'll probably put more nitrogen on in the first application and cut back to two splits. Um, But yeah, horses for courses.
0: So it's being adaptable to what the season actually brings. It's all very well talking about it in February, but we don't know what's going to come next week.
1: Exactly, but I've seen it before, the, the, putting some nitrogen on and then you get um, a dump of snow. Um, but coming out the other end of the snow, it's usually the crop that's had the nitrogen that's that's in the better better scenario because the ground conditions can often be wet for quite some time once the snow melts. And by the time you wait after the snow has gone and for the ground conditions to dry up enough to get on, If it's not had any nitrogen, it can be pretty hungry looking by the time you're able to get on the field, in which case you may have dropped some tillers and lost some potential yield. So I do tend to like to get something on quite early.
0: So is your advice pretty similar for the winter barley?
1: Uh, It's even more so for the winter barley to get on early. Um, So it tends to be the first crop that looks yellow and and, and is actually looking for nitrogen. And there's many a year where the NVZ close period, um, we're we're pretty much waiting for it to get past so that we can get out for nitrogen because the crops are yellow by this time of year. But as I said earlier, um, they don't seem to be as hungry this year um, as as what I have seen in, in previous
2: years. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder whether that's because, I mean, is it because the, the, the growth has been slower?
1: Yeah, that's what I, I'm not got to the bottom of that yet, either, whether it's the recent warmish weather, whether we're getting a bit of mineralization, um, of, of some N out of the ground to keep it going. Um, it's certainly not due to lack of rainfall um, going through the soil in this area. Um, so, yeah, my gut feel is that it, probably is. We've had some relatively mild weather since the turn of the year, uh, and whether it's just been able to give out enough mineralisation of end to, to keep the crops going, or whether they're just not using too much yet. But there is this little white um, growths at the ends of the roots that the crops are
2: just beginning to, to, to move forward now. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you certainly expect, with the heavy rain, to have lost some over winter, some, some leaching, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. No, definitely. No, I don't think we'll have much residual nitrogen lying around in the in the in the ground after this winter. Um, yeah. So yeah, we locally we've seen um, like an excess of 700 mils of rain since October, between October and Christmas. So um, that's often the annual rainfall. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: definitely been very wet. So what about for oilseed rape, Peter? What are you thinking there?
1: So oilseed rape, so that tends to be the the, the the first crop that I would look to get on. Um, so yeah, kind of end of this week, early next week, if ground conditions allow, it'll be a case of getting out and getting uh, some, some nitrogen and sulphur on those crops. And they tend to also be the first crops to be able to travel because a good proportion of winter oilseed rape crops now are established using direct drill or minimum tillage techniques, so they're not ploughed. Uh, and that tends to hold the, the tractor up uh, on top of the ground um, relatively easier in comparison to, to land that's been ploughed and drilled. Um, but I think from what many farmers are saying is certainly whilst the fields look okay, there is still some soft spots that can catch them out when they drive around. But all uh, seed rape will be the first crop that we go out on and put nitrogen on and um,
0: Good. So, Ian, am I right in thinking you've done some work looking at nitrogen use efficiency?
2: Yes, yes, over the years in, in various various forms, yes.
0: So, what sort of things should you be thinking about when you're applying fertiliser to make sure you're maximising the nitrogen use efficiency?
2: Well, it comes back to what Peter's been saying, really. The most important thing is to make sure that there is a demand from the crop. So you want to apply the nitrogen uh, when the crop is actively growing. So the roots have got to be there to be able to take the nitrogen up, and that's why we, you know, we talk about splitting the nitrogen so that we can we give a we give sufficient when the growth first starts, and then as that growth then develops and the demand increases, then we we apply more. So that's probably the most important effect. Um, we've been looking at some um, varietal differences. Um, there are variety differences. That's not really translated into, you know, developing varieties specifically for um, for efficient nitrogen use yet. But but that might come in the future. Um, but there is certainly variation there in, in nitrogen use efficiency. Um, and we've also looked at some. Well, we've, we've done some work looking at um, foliar N as well. You know, to test the claims that. Um, that's, that you sometimes see in, in, in the popular press that foliar N is more efficient than, than soil applied N, but we didn't find anything to support that claim. Um, so the uptake efficiency was pretty much the same as as applying it as, as, as ammonium nitrate.
0: That's definitely an interesting point because there's a lot more people asking now about foliar N, so it's interesting to see that you've not found a difference because I know some companies are claiming there is a difference.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, I think we went back to basic principles to look at that because um, some of the some of the claims are that it can be four to five times more efficient. But but when you actually try and do the calculations, you know, they just that just doesn't marry up really. So so I think it's down to the way they the way they're tested. Um, So 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 when we tested it, um, we ran these experiments with a full um, nitrogen response curve as our sort of benchmark and then we were looking to see what the effect of the additional nitrogen was made as a foliar and you certainly get nitrogen into the crop but it was only getting in with the same kind of efficiency as 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 a, as the ammonium nitrate that we the additional ammonium nitrate we applied in the soil um so and that makes physiological sense to me as well to be honest so um i i would have been surprised if we had seen these big big benefits
0: fair enough what about is there a difference between liquid and granular fertilizer?
2: Um, we haven't actually tested that ourselves, but um, I think the benefit of the liquid fertilizer is that is that you know it, it spread more uniformly, so so that could lead to, to an improvement. Um, if the soil conditions are dry, then it's more likely to get into the soil um, rather than just sitting on the surface. But I think it just depends very much on on the conditions and and you know how how well you're able to spread it um if it gets i mean essentially it needs to be in the soil for the roots to be able to take it up and there needs to be moisture there so if you've got dry soils then then you're going have a you know you're gonna have to wait you're gonna have to wait for the for the prules to to dissolve in and, and get into the soil for the for the crop to take it up and that's potentially i guess where where a benefit from from the uh, from the liquid end would come in I don't know, Peter, whether you've got anything to add from that from a practical side. Yeah, I would agree the, the liquid
1: <clears throat> is um, the uniformity, particularly at the edge effect where you don't have a declining uh, slope of application that a solid fertilizer spreader might have, albeit technology's coming on a long way with section control and in, in, in application of solid fertilizer. So that the yield benefit is possibly diminishing. Um, But also the um, conditions that you can apply the liquid fertiliser, you tend to be able to do it in in windier conditions than you would be able to with with solid fertilisers, which especially out to some of the wider um, 36 metres plus tram lines that we're working on now, um, it could be more accurate to apply it in liquid format. Um, The only caveat to the liquid is that I've seen um scorches for mm-hmm. um, frosts if, if you've been doing it in frosty weather whereas solids doesn't have a problem with that and likewise at the later timings when there's hot weather um, I've seen flag leaves tipped off and um, scorched off by applying um, liquid at that time as well so there's pros and cons of both but um, as long as the the, the, the grower is, is well aware of, of these um, risks then uh, yeah liquid is a, is a very popular uh, option nowadays.
0: So we've mentioned applying NP and K, but what about sulfur? What would you look to do Peter?
1: So certainly with the liquid fertilizers, a lot of them have got sulfur in them so we just tend to be putting on sulfur with every uh, nitrogen application. Um, and that is probably the more common approach and uh, nowadays we used to maybe look to put the nitrogen and sulfur fertilizer on early in the early application and then follow up with the straight nitrogens when we were doing it with solids um but i think if we're on the liquids then that tends to be that we manage to give a sulfur application every time we're given a nitrogen application
2: um again not something i've worked with well no we have we did some trials on on spring barley and um we didn't really find much of a sulfur response, so I think in a lot of fields it's difficult to judge the risk of sulfur deficiency, isn't it um but but, I think you know I would expect maybe with the with the heavy rainfall and the leaching um some crops may be more sulfur responsive this year but yeah, I mean all our trials now all the trials i do i I would um, routinely put some sulfur on because we we are getting into that area where they may be coming in, you know, becoming a bit riskier, um, even though we don't always see a response to that in, in, you know, in the trial data. It's it's an insurance.
1: Yeah, we we would often see um, visual symptoms of sulfur deficiencies in in, uh, cereal crops if it's not been applied. So certainly um, I've gone probably to using more sulphur now than we did many years ago, um, but I think that's the effects of uh, cars cleaning up their emissions that's uh, requiring us to actually have to buy the sulphur and put it on the fuels instead of relying on pollution.
2: Are you finding that more on, on the lighter land then, and the coarse textured soils, would you say? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say it's more in the lighter land, and sulphur is very leachable as well, so um, there's there, there'll not be very much left. And I think also from the reduced use of livestock manures and things like that, often the sulphur would have been applied um, with any of the kind of manure products that's there. So as that reduces in uh, quantities around the country, then that's maybe also showing up more of these deficiencies in sulphur
0: yeah ian you mentioned before about spring barley what would you suggest for applying fertilizer to spring barley i know we've not even planted it yet but (laughs) as we're talking about fertilizer i may as well ask
2: well i think the the important thing with um from the trial work that we did um was getting some nitrogen into the crop um you know early so um The problem we often get in the spring is we've been having quite dry springs. So, so we found a response to um, getting something in the seed bed. Um, If it if it was delayed and and all put on at sort of um, you know the three leaf stage, then you you know in dry conditions you can see you can see a yield effect from that. So, getting something down the spout um, early on just helps mitigate that that risk. So. other than that, I think we have tried um, a sort of uh, um, well, how do, you, <laughs> how do you phrase it, a little and often approach, um, but that didn't really yield any any great benefits over just the standard sort of you know some in the seedbed and then and then the rest um, shortly afterwards. So so there's no great benefit in terms of in terms of little and often, but I think the the main one was actually getting some in the seedbed. Um, just to, to help it when when the soil goes when the soil is dry.
0: It's definitely difficult to imagine just now the soil being dry, but it's amazing how quickly it it's probably it going to turn. Peter, what do you usually advise farmers to do?
1: Yeah, so again, if possible, um, get the compound down the spout. Uh, I think it's the N and the P is the the two that gives the the real benefit um, of being close to the seed um, when it gets gets germinated um and if if you haven't got the ability to put it down the spout then get it on as as soon as you can on the top Um, and likewise i agree with ian um i've probably moved forward to getting the nitrogen the, the whole lot on earlier than what i used to do um and with the it used to be traditionally you waited to see the tram lines before you put it on but that was mainly so that you could see where you were going. But now with GPS, um, you can basically get on before it's emerged and get that job done uh, while the conditions are are still uh, favourable because it will either turn very dry or very wet after drilling. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Yeah, I think getting it on early is is the, the main
0: thing. So, Ian, you've also done some work looking at protected urea versus ammonium nitrate. What have you found in those trials?
2: Um, well, unfortunately, we, we we're kind of just gathering the data up at the moment, so so it's a bit early to say. Um, we did find, um, well, we did we did some trials on. Uh, we had winter winter wheat at one site um, down in um, um, down in Edinburgh. And um, we had spring barley at two sites, one in Edinburgh and one in Aberdeen. Um, and, and, and in two of those trials, we actually found the ammonium nitrate was the highest yielding set of plots. Um, so we compared it with straight urea and we compared it with with protected ureas. Protected ureas um, were, were, did OK, but they were certainly no better than the, than the ammonium nitrate. Um, and the lowest yielding one, apart from the control that didn't get any, any fertilizer was was the straight urea. Um, the other site, or sorry, the other spring barley, the spring barley in, in Edinburgh didn't really show much in the way of the yield differences. What we need to do at the moment um, now is is actually measure the nitrogen content in the crop. We, we're getting those data in, and then we can do the calculations on the nitrogen use efficiency because it's always going to come down to the relative costs, uh, cost per unit of N, as to as to which is going to be beneficial or not. And I I think that's going to depend on, on the, you know, on on market prices.
0: Is this trial going to continue on for another few years?
2: Yes, we've got, well, we've got another year to do. Um, So I'm hoping to get those data out. So, so, you know, our consultants can see before people go ahead with the spring applications, but, but we always have to be cautious when we've only done one season's trials. Um, You know, we, we, you know, for a, a positive message, we really need to think, um, or a, a robust message, we need we need to be looking at least two years.
0: So it would be interesting in another year's time, um, actually hearing what your conclusions are after the two years of trials.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hope um well, yes, yes. I mean, I'm I'm hoping we'll we'll see something interesting. Um, but we'll be demonstrating the plots um uh, at some of the open open evenings um, this this coming summer, so we can talk more about it then. And we'll have had the tissue and nitrogen. Data back as well, so we'll we'll have been able to do the calculations on on the end use efficiencies.
0: Peter, have you found there to be a preference um, for urea or ammonium nitrate?
1: Um, I think there was more of a move towards urea last year, mainly due to availability of products, Um, so many people used urea for the first time last year. and i think traditionally my kind of theory would be that you need about 10 percent more N put down in the form of urea than you would if you were using an ammonium nitrate to get the same yield um, i don't know if that has come out in the trials um, that you've done ian or whether that's still to be worked upon
2: no we we still need to work on that but that figure fits with with research that's done elsewhere so I think uh, you know, you might lose something like twenty percent through volatilization, but, but that is very dependent on, on soil conditions. So it depends on soil pH and it depends on, on you know, the climate at the time, um, because you, you really need rain to, to wash it into the soil to protect it from the volatilization. So you could lose up to I mean ten percent I think would be would be very would be a, a sensible figure um so um but but it could it could go up to 20% and, under the wrong kind of conditions
1: yeah and i think last year the
2: concern was
1: obviously we're trying to grow low, low nitrogen malting barley generally in the spring barley scenarios so um again i was pushing them to get the urea put on as early as possible because i didn't want to run the risk of um nitrogen still becoming available to the crop um later on which might end up going to the head and given nitrogen barley and um, so didn't appear to have too many issues with high nitrogen last year
2: well that, that's that's interesting because our data from the trials will give us an indication as to whether protected year u- ureas, you know with a the sort of slightly slower release um ha- will have had an effect on on the grain nitrogens as well but uh so we need to get the data in to be able to see that
0: Definitely something that I think we should uh, pick back up on in the future. Um, to find out what you found there, Ian. What would be your top tips for farmers this year?
2: Well, from uh, from a nitrogen point of view, I think it's just um, making sure that you get the nitrogen on when the when the crop demand is greatest. That will that will give you the best nitrogen use efficiency. So um depends on your, your market of course um, we've already talked about um, about grain protein um so the timing will depend on the market um, and then you do have a, a choice of products but um but, but that will come down to to, to costs um, and soil conditions as to which is going to give you the best effect
0: um Peter what are your top tips?
2: I mainly
1: agree with Ian Um, so I I think I would be keen to get on with a little dose of nitrogen quite early this year um, because there won't be much residual nitrogen left in the soils after the the heavy rainfall Uh, and then just keep going with the kind of little and often approach um, throughout the season. Um, The product choice I'm I think people are maybe less scared of, of trying ureas and, and other products. So um, buying based on price is, is um, quite acceptable. Uh, and I think there is quite a variation in prices between products. Um, so, yeah, but just knowing what products you're using will determine as to when you apply these products.
0: Thank you both. There's been a lot of interesting points raised today. Thanks, Peter and Ian. It has been great hearing what your thoughts are on fertilisers and hearing about some of the research that has been done as well. Definitely giving farmers something to think about when they're going out putting their fertiliser on after such a wet winter. Next up, we have an update from out in the field.
3: Hello, my name is George Chalmers and I'm a consultant with SEC Consulting. This spring has been very challenging for farmers as they try and establish their spring crops. We're starting to see the sunshine and the soil warming up, and we're now seeing more and more fields starting to brayer. The Crops should start racing through the growth stages, hopefully, but unfortunately, that also means that the weeds will do the same. It now means that we need to start thinking about our weed control strategy. You need to really know what your problem weeds are. Is it grass weeds, broad-leaved weeds, or is it even wild oats? Remember, some weeds are more competitive than others. You have more upright weeds, such as wild oats or cleavers, that can cause real harvesting issues, and also potentially crop quality problems. And you've got other weeds at the other end of the spectrum that are quite prostrate in their nature, such as annual meadow grass, that can look pretty bad in the field, however, don't cause so much of a problem, certainly not in terms of crop yield. Ask yourself if you have a potential weed resistance problem. We're seeing more and more issues with, for instance, chickweed, and herbicides struggling to control it. Maybe you need to start thinking about using a different chemical with a different mode of action. What are key considerations at this time of the year when it comes to weed control? Firstly, know your weeds. Match the herbicides and their rates to the weed spectrum on your farm. Secondly, do you have resistance issues on farm? If so, think about using herbicides with different modes of action. And finally, going early with spring weed control gives you the best chance of effective control
1: and also reduces competition to the crop.
0: Thank you for joining us today and thank you to our excellent speakers. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and follow our podcast. If you want to know more about fertilizers have a look at the technical notes which are in the show notes they cover all aspects of fertilizers and what application rates you should be applying depending on things like your previous crops and your soil analysis results so make sure you check those out
3: the farm advisory service podcast audio advice on livestock crops and soils environment rural business and more, brought to you in
1: association with the Scottish Government.